0: we're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Uh, ben, it was a monsoon out there. Uh, up till about five minutes ago, it looks like the rain has stopped, but it was—it was really coming down. I thought that we might have sort of a, uh, like a sleep story vibe to this episode of the Co made Event podcast, or like a, uh, like a guided meditation. Kind of a vibe. Yeah,
1: I've been meaning to tell you for a while that I think we should gradually transition this to a sleep story podcast. Yeah.
0: Guided meditation
1: podcast. I just I feel like we have rode the MMA sports podcast thing as far as it's going to go at this point, And we should really lean into all those emails we've gotten over the years where people tell us that they use the co event podcast to help them get to sleep.
0: Picture we just yourself pivot, as Yoel Romero. Just doing nothing, being in the moment. <laughs> you are, Okay, That's a low blow. That's okay. a that, low blow. That was it, but I had to. I had to do it. Uh, well, how did you spend your Saturday night? By the way, we had dueling UFC and Bellator events on Saturday. Did you watch them both? Did you watch one? Did you watch n- neither of them live? What was the uh, What was the programming strategy over at the Folks House?
1: Well, first of all, I'm, I just got to be honest with you. I'm dealing with a puppy situation over here right now. Yeah, I know. We
0: can all hear it.
1: Yeah, he's, he's on his bed right next to my, my desk. He likes to be wherever I am at all times. And sometimes just like if I'm in the kitchen washing dishes, he needs to be leaning right up against my leg. And right now he is entertaining himself with various toys, but it's like, he knows that I must be recording a podcast because he, he got to have the squeaky toy. I keep trying to move it out of his reach so that we don't hear just squeaking throughout the podcast, but then he keeps managing to snatch it right back. So uh, I don't know how this is going to go. So I watched both events sort of as I could while I was dealing with my children. Uh, People who follow me on Twitter will know that my eldest daughter somehow got it in her head that what we were going to do on Saturday was to do the see who can be the last person awake challenge. Oh, fun. Like she had it. Very fun. It, it's like she heard about it somewhere. I don't know where. I, did, I didn't put this idea in her head. But she does this thing where she will talk about something first as she is suggesting it to us. And then after just talking about it a little bit in suggestion mode, we'll proceed as if everybody else has agreed to it, regardless of whether they have. And so that's what she did. But then my daughters, they both got into the idea and they were, and I was like, you know what? I can't think of a good reason why you can't stay up as late as possible. Plus it'll give you something to do while I watch these fights. And yet once I agreed to it, once they kind of got in that mode, they both put on their pajamas. Ah. you got to be kidding me, man. They put on their pajamas and like got cozy, got their books out and everything. And then like sat in bed as if they were just going to sit there and battle sleep and i was like it's 5:30 <laughs> you guys are making this harder on yourselves with your ment like the the mental approach you're going into it with right now and so i tried to explain that to them we watched these fights um i was i had to interrupt every once in a while to go like divide a rice crispy treat make sure everybody was getting their their dues snacks um but it did kind of free me up so that when my oldest daughter, whose idea this whole thing was, inevitably fell asleep at like 9.30, then I just I, – I I put the other one in, in bed and said like, all right, here, look at a, a, a book while well, I check out what Yoel Romero and Phil Davis are up to. And really it worked out amazingly well because I guess I slid right there into the Bellator broadcast just in time.
0: Yeah. Uh, if they had stayed up long enough, you could have let him watch Phil Davis and Yael Romero, and then they would have gone right to sleep. Hey, oh, stop it. Oh, stop say, it. Say it's, these, these uh, look. Hey, man. Situations, that was one of the, it's not my fault. These situations keep suggesting themselves.
1: That was one of the better and more interesting Phil Davis wins in years.
0: It was not, but we'll get to that in due time, yes. if yeah, the weird part is if you go on the internet and you look at any of the numerous audio file websites that are like, Hey, how to great, get great sound quality on your podcast or, or recording, almost all of them say, have a puppy in the room mm-hmm. with you wearing mm-hmm. a jangly ass collar and chewing on a squeaky toy.
1: I took the jangly ass collar off because this is, this is not the first time I've dealt with this problem. Um, but the, the squeaky toy situation, I mean, I've, I've taken it away, but now he's just going to bother me. I mean, it's it's a real dilemma mm. that we're dealing with over here. Hey, man, we
0: all love Carl, the puppy. You know what I mean? We like to hear from him. It's just a shame you live in that studio apartment with no backyard where you have to have him right there in the room with you while we oh, record yeah. the podcast.
1: No, no, you, you, you act like I haven't thought of that. I'll just, I'll just put him in the backyard. He knows, Chad, I'm in a basement office there's windows he knows exactly where they are he will walk over to them he will look at me and he will just bark knowing that it's going to take me at least a couple seconds before i could get up there and do anything about it and by that point he will have one so like you act like all these solutions you propose i haven't thought of them and tried many of them already
0: i mean it sounds like you got some problem solving to do over there that's all i'm saying You're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. The show drops every Monday for free in your your timelines and your podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now talking about dogs and whatnot, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben folks, and I are over there party rocking all week long with three additional podcasts every single damn week for the beloved patrons of the Co-Main Event podcast. We got the Wednesday live chat, the Thursday movie club, the Friday power hour. It goes and it goes and it goes and it goes and we have a good time over there. So if you're interested, check us out, patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben, something exciting happened this week over on the CME uh, Patreon. And that is that we at long last have received the communal glow-in-the-dark scorpion bolo tie to be shared among the patrons of the Co-Main Event Podcast. It's available to any patron who has a formal event coming up who wants to wear the bolo tie. Uh, Right now, the bolo tie already has trips scheduled to Portland, Oregon. It's going out to Wisconsin. It'll be going down to Kansas City. I believe at the end of the year, we got one scheduled for Australia. Oh, wow. So the communal glow-in-the-dark scorpion bolo tie is already out here uh for any of your formal events. So if you join the Patreon, that's just an additional perk, is that you get access. I got it in my clammy little hands right here. The people on, oh, the, wow. on the live stream Look can at that. see it. Scorpion Look at that glow-in-the-dark uh, bolo tie.
1: Now, see, when this idea first was in its infancy. Oh, you're going to put it on. You're going to try to put it on over your headphones. Do you think it will think it'll fit over my
0: giant noggin?
1: <laughs> your giant noggin plus your giant headphones. Um I did not realize that this motherfucker glows in the dark. That that part just kind of set me over the edge. Look at that. Look at look at how instantly classier you got yeah, suddenly, when you put on the scorpion bolo tie. Suddenly and, I have
0: gravitas. And this thing has snake tips yeah gold snake that- tips which the patrons can watch the video version of the podcast. that's what they look like right there. Wow basically you'll be the classiest motherfucker in any room if you if you wear the glow in the dark communal scorpion bolo tie. so we're excited to have that we gotta we gotta spend a send a very special thanks by the way out to longtime listeners uh, and patreon members Nick and and uh, Jess Na- Natov. Who supplied us with the glow-in-the-dark scorpion bolo tie? You got to right. check out Jess over on Instagram, uh, Ginger Von Snap Vintage. Uh, she runs a vintage fashion lingerie accessories, men's vintage Hawaiian shirts, custom-made bolo ties. She's all over the internet. Uh, she sent us some lovely stickers also uh, with the with the bolo tie. Uh, you can you can find her on Etsy, Ginger Von Snap Vintage at Ginger Von Snap Vintage on Instagram and we also got to give a shout out to Nick uh yeah. who runs a nonprofit called Wild Think. And this, I like this. This is a cool thing. It specializes in making cognitive enrichment devices for animals in zoos and sanctuaries. So basically they make like toys and games for gorillas and other animals who are living in captivity to try to enrich their lives, including, among other things, this animal vending machine that they made for apes, where the apes, I believe, can go up and like get a toy or something to eat out of the vending machine. So if you want to learn more about that, you go to wildthink.org. It's pretty cool. You should check it out.
1: Man, I don't want to see what happens, how mad a gorilla gets when it tries to get a Kit Kat and it gets stuck on the little wire thing as it's trying to come down. Yeah. But you know what they do? You can also just straight up buy one of these bolo ties from them at Ginger Von Snap Vintage. Uh, And I know because I saw them, I follow them on Instagram. They're talking about how they'll just, they can sell the glow in the dark scorpion bolo ties. But Chad, they also had a cracking one. Did you see
0: this? They sent us this, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage Bolo Tie, free of charge. This one's just for the for okay. the hosts of the Co-Main Event Podcast. This is for you and me. The patrons well, can have the Scorpion Bolo Tie. We get the Randy Savage Bolo Tie.
1: Well, next time we're at a formal event together, we won't have to argue about who gets to wear the Randy Savage Bolo Tie. You can wear that one because I already ordered myself a Kraken Bolo Tie, okay.
0: right.
1: which will coincide nicely with the start of the NHL season next month. Now, we are finishing up Hockey Movie Month this week by watching Red Army, the documentary about the Soviet hockey team kind of going to see the whole Miracle on Ice from the other side. Uh I'm looking forward to that because I've seen it once and it's a great documentary. But I'm curious, now that we have gone through hockey movie month, do you feel like you got your your skates under you ready to start the hockey season now that we are officially going to become going to will ourselves to become big time Seattle Kraken fans.
0: I think I am. I think I'm as ready as I'm going to get. Uh, in fact, like when we have this uh the whole the uh the season opener on the road at the Las Vegas Golden Knights, uh we should probably do a watch party for that. Yeah. I don't know what time of day it is. I don't know what day of the week it is, but we should get the the patrons together and we should watch that thing as as it I'm happens. Just
1: gonna, I'm just going to say it like I feel it right now, Chad. Fuck the Golden Knights.
0: Indeed. This is going to be that's going to be Kraken for life. That's going to be bro. right enough uh fellow MMA journalist Kevin Ioli's face, big fan of the Golden Knights. When the Kraken go down there and hang one on the Knights, that's going to be right in his face.
1: Yeah. A lot. I know a lot of MMA media who are Las Vegas locals got into the, the Golden Knights. And look, the Seattle Kraken are coming and hell's coming with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's move on. Let's get to the mixed martial arts here. If anybody is still listening to the show at this point, uh, we got music this week from our guy Doug Ty, co-main event podcast listener, aka Spider Fighting. He describes his music as instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and back pap, backpack boom bap. Just writing me a tongue twister there. Thanks, Doug. Uh, I think his music's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more at soundcloud.com slash We got three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Anthony Smith is on some Michael Jordan shit and he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. And in round number two, we waited nine months for Yoel Romero's Bellator debut and, frankly, a lifetime to see him at light heavyweight. And when it finally happened, it was not great. And in round number three, one co-maniac rode in this week to remind us that the first meeting between Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler was 17 damn years ago. So if everybody could please put down their copies of AARP magazine and adjust their hearing aids and pull their rascals over to the side of the adult diaper aisle of the supermarket, we will get started previewing UFC 266. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Chris Naraño, who writes, How do we celebrate retiring legends such as Carlos Condit and Joseph Benavidez? How do you think they transition into the next step of their lives after they poured their blood, sweat and tears into MMA for our enjoyment? Hashtag WEC never say die. After looking at their fight purses in their lifetime... Uh, sounds like a good time to bring up what MMA an MMA fighters union could do for fighters' retirement health coverage after they leave the cage. Uh, ben, we did an entire episode of the Co Event Podcast Friday Power Hour over on the Patreon page about the dueling retirements of Carlos Condit and Joseph Benavidez, who in many ways feel like contemporaries, and in many ways feel uh, almost like they had complementary careers in in a certain kind of ways. Both both guys are are. Nice guys, well-regarded, liked by the media, liked by fans, absolute savages out there in the cage. Both of them uh, extremely talented, top-level, elite-level MMA fighters who never quite graduated to the level of undisputed UFC champion. Uh, What can you say, I guess, about Carlos Condit and Joseph Benavides that, that hasn't been said ad nauseum this week?
1: Yeah, I mean, for one thing, I thought it was a nice development to see the UFC give those guys their due daps during the broadcast right like i mean that's and i understand that that's a gonna be a tricky situation for the ufc to deal with just in general because we know how mma retirements go and a lot of times when somebody exits the ufc it is not because they're exiting the sport or it is unclear like we don't get a whole lot of clear retirement statement stuff where guys are just saying like you know what so long, and and thanks for all the punches to the face. You know, and, and that's not always how this goes. And when it does go that way, we don't always know whether we believe it. So I understand the UFC doesn't see maybe an opportunity to do that all the time, and maybe sometimes it just doesn't think like okay that that person had a long enough stay or a distinctive enough career that it, it merits that from them. But here's here were a couple of situations where it was good to see the UFC actually stop the train moving forward for for a minute or two and kind of acknowledge like its own history and they own, and its own fighters that helped you get here and that that maybe some of them individually do matter and that it's worth taking some time out to to highlight them now that they're saying their careers are over i do agree though that it tells us something about what we all know to be true about fighter pay is that if an nfl running back who had been in the nfl for for years you know for like over a decade if he announces at the age of 37, that's it, I'm retiring, we don't go, mm, but what, what's he going to do now for a job? Like, what, How's he going to support himself? We don't do that. That's not one of our concerns. And yet with MMA fighters, it kind of has to be because we know that they do not make that kind of life-changing money where when they say, all right, that's it for me on the sport. You're retired from MMA. But it doesn't mean you're retired from like working or having to earn an income.
0: Yeah, uh, and I agree. It was great to see the UFC acknowledge both these guys on the broadcast. Uh, and it was it was a weird coincidence that both Joe B and Carlos Condit called it quits during the same week. Uh, among many people's favorite fighters, especially Carlos Condit, I saw a lot of people online acting kind of wistful about the the departure of Carlos Condit. Just sort of like, well, there goes my favorite walking off yeah. into the sunset. Uh, And, you know, they both seem like guys who are capable of having nice post fighting careers, doing something else for themselves, whatever it may be, being successful in that they're both are smart guys who I think could be successful in a lot of different areas. If you were another fighter who had recently retired, you might look at those video packages and be like, hey, man, what about me, bro? Yeah, what the fuck? I guess yeah. I guess this tells me where I stand, where I stood, uh, as, it, as it were. So we wish them well. We wish both Carlos Conant and Joseph Benavides. And as we said on Friday, we wish them well. Uh, both these guys seem like the kind of dudes who might stick to these to these retirements. Like they were not made at the spur of the moment. They weren't made out of like depression in the cage after a loss. Uh, They both seemed like they meditated on it for a while. So I think good chance we don't see Carlos Conant or Joseph Benavidez in the cage again. So we wish, we wish them well, we hope that they uh, find success in their future endeavors. Uh, next question comes to us from Chris Emanuel on Patreon. This was a long one. It was a good one. Uh, I had to cut it down a little bit because there's just no way we could read the whole thing. Uh, but shout out to Chris. He wrote us a good email. He writes, I'm befuddled and confused at the seeming total lack of strategy that Bellator continues to display in its battle with no one to retain the title of the second biggest promotion in the <laughs> US.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, so come Just firing right out the gates huh
0: when scotty cokes first usurped the bear and then parenthetically he says bjorn means bear in swedish by the way uh it looked like dana was going to be looking over his jacked up traps as the former strike force head honcho breathed new life into a moribund show yet here we are seven years on and i'm asking myself has anything improved where are they going guys what are they doing they bounce from bad idea to bad idea. UFC rejects, failure. European League failure. Heather Hardy failure. Irritating Taekwondo girl who uses social media to show her butt cheeks off, failure. How much longer wow, will the ultimate owners just... put up with a leadership team seemingly bereft of ideas and direction? This is a little harsh to me, but I'm going to let you yeah. I'm going to let you go to respond first. I mean, I don't
1: by what metric are we just declaring failure on all these
0: things? See, that's one of the things that I wonder. And then like, uh, and I mean this, like not, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I mean this with actual curiosity. Like what, would success look like for Bellator right now in the current landscape of mixed martial arts? Like what would we look at and be like, that is a success for Bellator because like, they, they pulled off this featherweight Grand Prix this year on the heels of a successful welterweight Grand Prix that, frankly, if the UFC had done it, if the UFC had staged a featherweight Grand Prix with all the same guys, all the same fights and all the same outcomes won by A.J. McKee, who becomes the champ and now is arguably the hottest young up and coming star in the game, we would all be hailing it as the MMA happening of the year. We would be like, man, look at what the UFC accomplished this year with the featherweight tournament. Bellator does it. And it's just like, kind of no one cares. And that is the rub. I think when you're talking about Bellator, like number one, kind of, what do you want them to do? Like, what could they do differently? And again, I mean this with, with actual curiosity, like, what would you like to see them do that they're not doing? And like, what can they do to make people care? Because it seems like they have actually had a lot of successes in the, in the, the recent uh, past And it's just kind of like nobody's watching. And I think that's because the UFC takes up so much time and so much effort. And as I like to see so much oxygen in the room, that it's a real ask to get MMA fans to make time and space for other promotions. And Bellator has kind of fallen victim to that right now.
1: Yeah. And also there's this constant uh, tug of war going on for everybody between what do you do that gets attention? And then what do you do that gets money and that, that drive to, expose the product to a bigger audience but then also monetize the product. And those two things are tough to do at the same time. And you see you've seen that with Bellator meaning like okay for a while we're on you know free TV that kind of stuff or cable TV. Now they're on Showtime. That is going to automatically limit the audience a little bit. And they know that. And so the, their expectations have to adjust accordingly, but that's also how you monetize the product a little more, especially when it's owned by the TV people. And so I don't, like, I don't know what we uh, as fans are asking of them. Are we asking them to be more like financially successful, to like pull off more of what the UFC is doing? Because we also tend to turn around and complain about a lot of what the UFC is doing with the Just Some Fights era. And Bellator doesn't have that luxury where it can just churn out just some fights. It has to be trying to find innovative ways to get people to pay attention because otherwise, it's just another like Friday or Saturday night Bellator event that people may or may not watch. And like I, we're, we're asking these conflicting things of Bellator, but also being really quick to be like, you're not giving us absolutely everything all the time, and and fuck you, you're a failure.
0: Yeah. And it seems like there's a weird double standard. You know what I mean? Like the UFC obviously gets all this attention and all of this, uh, benefit of the doubt because they've been the biggest, most successful MMA promotion in the world for a long time now. And at this point, they have got an absolute death grip on the top of the, the MMA, uh, culture. And I don't, they will probably never release it, but like, uh, you can talk about UFC rejects being a failure, and I made fun of it at the top of the show. But Yoel Romero is a guy who came over from Bellator, who most recently fought for a title in his last UFC fight and a popular attraction. And you took him and you put him in a fight. You could you could probably quibble with the matchmaking because you put him in a fight with a guy that it's tough to go out there and look good against. And he ended up I mean, losing. But
1: the original plan was Anthony Johnson, you'll recall. Right. So, yeah.
0: Uh, but imagine like if the UFC, if, if Phil Davis and Yoel Romero were both still under contract to the UFC, that is a fight 100% the UFC would make. they would make Mm -hmm. that, and it would main event a UFC show, just as it main evented a Bellator show. So imagine if these weekend's events were flipped, and the the UFC main event was Yoel Romero against Phil Davis in a light heavyweight contender fight, and then Bellator (laughs) had Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. Like, we would all be like, oh man, shitty-ass Bellator giving us Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. Nobody cares about that, fucking blah, blah, blah. But, like, just because it happens in the UFC, it's going to be round number one on the podcast today. Going to be a picture yep. of it on the website because uh, if you lead with Bellator, no one will watch or listen. So that's that's just the way it is, and I don't know how Bellator changes that. To be perfectly frank with you.
1: Yeah, I don't know either.
0: All right, here's one about Bellator, though. This one came to us from Roland Bleezy. He wrote, "Uh, big fucking tuna. Also, I really enjoyed the pacing (laughs) of the Bellator broadcast. So, of course, he is talking about Ben Parrish, the light heavyweight, who goes out there with the the man-on-the-street build. The the man-on-the-street appearance knocks out Christian Edwards 38 seconds into the first round to kick off the main card of the Bellator 266 broadcast and then comes backstage for his post-fight interview uh, and and he's just like spinning gold man working magic yep. and again if this guy was in the <laughs> UFC we'd be talking about him as like potentially a, a fan favorite another tie Ty to ivasa type guy he's out there talking about the haters and all this stuff uh you you love everything that he's doing
1: yeah also I have to point out Chad you remember we did 20 bucks we never want to see again on Friday's power hour I wanted to bet my Remaining $5, I had kept $5 in reserve so that I could bet it on Socrates Hernandez on the Bellator prelims. Um, Socrates Hernandez did not win his fight, but fought bravely right until the end. Um, Instead, what I did when I looked at the Sportsbet Montana app on Saturday morning was I said, all right let's see if there's any just absolutely insane favorites as there usually are on the Bellator prelims. And I saw Ah Christian Edwards, a minus 2000 favorite over Ben Parrish. And I went, LOL, bro. I'll, I know what I'll do just, just for shits and gigs, man. I'll throw my five bucks down on Christian Edwards, just so I can point out how ridiculous it is to bet this $5 and make a 25 cent return have a ticket that that profits me 25 cents on my $5 bet. LOL, LMAO, won't this be some fun bullshit? And then, what I had not been privy to, what I did not know at that time, Chad, was that I was betting against the Big Tuna. If I'd known that, if I'd known that this was, this was the Big Tuna on the other side of this thing, shit, you think I'd make that bet? You think I'd bet against the Big Tuna? Not in your life.
0: You doomed him, is what you're telling me. That you went out Saturday morning and you doomed poor Christian Edwards yeah. to an early KO loss at the hands of Ben Parrish.
1: I mean, if they, if it had said Christian Edwards minus 2,000 versus the big tuna, like plus 400 or whatever it was, you, you know I would have done a little something different with my money there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question this week comes to us from AK, who writes, so those, quote, influential industry leaders really named it the WFL. huh? Of course, he's talking about the World Fight League, which was recently Mm -hmm. uh, news was broken by Ariel Helwani this this past week, a pending new, quote unquote, major MMA organization, the World Fight League supposed to debut, I believe, in 2023. AK writes, Is Ben having flashbacks? Is Ben getting hired? Also, just like every anonymous source of a certain ex-athletic boxing writer always seems to say exactly what Lou Debella would say or sometimes has said verbatim elsewhere, the collective voice of these, quote, leaders sure sounds like su- suspiciously reminiscent of a former UFC employee uh, of the crawling insect persuasion. Don't you think? Uh I don't know about all that. I will say, like I have heard, some names involved with the WFA, uh, and they are surprising. WFL. Oh yeah. See, there you go. I'm already calling it the WFA because that was the thing. That was the World Fighting Alliance. That was the thing. That's where Matt
1: Lindland fought Rampage Jackson.
0: The names alleged to be involved with the WFL are surprisingly big, and I think it's all just rumor and innuendo at this point. Uh, But we'll see. We'll see when they get around to the announcement that uh, if it goes down with the the people that I heard about, it's going to be kind of a, it'll be sort of a big deal, I think. But it's also hard to imagine it working. And one of the reasons that it's hard to imagine it working, Ben, is why? Why is it hard for you to imagine this particular fighting gimmick working? The World Fighting Alliance. I'm sorry, the World, see, I'm fucking it up. See, bad name, guys. World (laughs) Fighting League. I
1: mean, are you saying because we've seen something like very similar to this tried. You've seen it
0: very up close and personal, in fact, haven't you?
1: <laughs> that was the IFL just one letter different. Just one letter different and a lot of these same things in place. I have not heard the names things though. I'm I'm going to I'm going to throw out some names. You tell me if you've heard those names rumored to be involved with this cuz you're saying big names.
0: I'm going to I'm going to tell you hot and cold.
1: Okay. George W. Bush. Cold. Okay. Okay. Um Denzel Washington. Still
0: cold. Very cold. Um. Art Davies. You're, you're not even trying. You're not even trying. Evil Knievel. Okay, he's dead. Evil Knievel is dead. Been dead for a while. I've been to his grave
1: did i didn't expect it to go this place that's not where i thought we were gonna end up um carlos newton
0: <laughs> uh you you got it carlos newton is the main investor behind the world fight league see breaking news i knew it here on the command. i knew podcast. i'd get there uh that's not true don't report that elsewhere all right that is gonna do what i think for this antonio enoki yep you're right on you're nailing them it's like throwing darts bullseye after bullseye after bullseye finger on the pulse ben folks uh that's going to do it for listener mail this week if you have a question comment or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks you know how to do it you go to the website co maineventcom and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us as to right now though we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one Then Anthony Smith went out there on Saturday night and he essentially wore Ryan Spann around the cage like a hat for uh, three minutes and 47 seconds or so before uh, he knocked him down. Again, he got on top of him. He, he locked up the rear naked choke, secured the very quick tap from Ryan Spann. Anthony Smith secures uh, his third consecutive win in a row, his third consecutive first round stoppage. And then he had some words He had some words to say to Ryan Spann. Uh, Not altogether nice. There was a bit of a fracas there in the cage. Things got quieted down pretty quickly. Herb Dean out there playing Peacemaker, assuring everyone we're okay. Let's get these guys together to shake hands, have a little hug. Anthony Smith comes to the post-fight press conference. Uh, It sounded like a, hey, man, we're cool, but I don't think I ever need to talk to Ryan Spann again, kind of an attitude from Anthony Smith at this press conference. Uh, But Anthony Smith is a likable articulate guy when he jumps on the mic and starts talking. And he had a, a, yeah. a pretty good post fight press conference here, 20 minutes in front of the media, kind of talking about how he feels disrespected by fighters. He feels like they don't respect his journey. Uh, the, uh, the changes he's made, the, this the, the life stuff he has sacrificed. Uh, and now he proclaims he wants this rematch with Alexander Rockets to get himself back into something approaching top contender status in the light heavyweight division. It was floated during that press conference that perhaps one of the reasons that Anthony Smith is overlooked or disrespected, so to speak, by his peers is that he does come across as this like nice, easygoing, soft-spoken guy. A lot of the time he works uh, as a broadcaster for ESPN. He's very good at it, but maybe some of that kind of nice guy, uh, humble, low key kind of stuff makes it easy for other fighters to look at him and say, this guy, uh, I could beat this guy. This guy doesn't seem like he's all that special. My question for you to open up this round is, do you like fiery ass pissed off? I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm on some Michael Jordan shit. Anthony Smith.
1: Well, just to be clear, when he said that I'm on some Michael Jordan shit, I believe he was talking about kind of the. And I took that personal right. meme. He was saying, which I can't believe I haven't seen one of those yet. Uh, like I'm, I feel like I kind of got my ear to the ground when it comes to MMA memes for the most part, and I have somehow not seen one of Michael Jordan sitting in that chair with Anthony Smith's head photoshopped onto his shoulders. And the line underneath saying, and I took that personal.
0: Right. Once again, it was like Anthony Smith being very kind of like self-aware was saying, maybe I'm just taking this stuff and making mountains out of molehills and blowing it out of proportion to motivate myself in a way that Michael Jordan used to do. I would also say your former longtime light heavyweight champion, John Jones, used to do the same damn thing on the regular uh, so we might as well just say he's on some John Jones shit also. But yeah, he wasn't comparing himself in terms of greatness to Michael Jordan. He was saying, maybe motivationally, I am playing the same mental games with myself as Michael Jordan used to. But do you like this Anthony Smith? Do you like this Anthony Smith that will choke a motherfucker out and then holler at him in the cage to say, where is that ass whooping you promised me?
1: Yeah, you know, and honestly, I don't have a big problem with that. Like I know people will get all up in their feelings about sportsmanship and, and shit like that uh, for stuff after a fight. But it's not like he was standing there soccer kicking the guy or something. To, to stand over him after you beat him and say, like, where's that ass and you promised to give me? I say that's all fair play. And also, I understand, like, I another thing that I think Anthony Smith is right about and then uh, shows a little more self-awareness about is when he said afterwards, like, I think people are kind of making a big deal about it or they're surprised about it because it's me. If it was somebody else, like somebody who has more of a reputation of being uh, like an asshole to their opponents or something, and they did this same thing, where they stood there over the guy afterwards and, and said some shit to him, people wouldn't make a big deal out of it, you know like it, it, they would they would see it coming a little bit more. But with Anthony Smith, you are surprised, the first thought is like, what do you do to get Anthony Smith so riled up? Like Anthony's because he just is not normally that kind of a guy. But when he explains it, I, I get what he's saying, especially because he's been in this sport a while. He's got a ton of goddamn fights. He's been up and down in this sport. And if he's feeling like, okay, this guy is trying to say all that stuff that I did doesn't matter. He's gonna beat me up anyway, and all this stuff that I did doesn't mean anything, I can see how, especially at this phase of his career, that pushes a special button for him. I'd also say, though, that like maybe that was Ryan Spann telling himself some stuff. Yeah, Maybe that's the guy coming in there and trying to tell himself that all the time you've put in this sport and your experience in big fights and, and main events and performance bonuses, maybe he's trying to tell himself that stuff doesn't matter because he needs to believe that it doesn't matter because that's one of the big advantages that he's giving up in this fight is that you have a ton more of that experience than he does. So, like, I would say maybe give him a little bit of leeway. We're all saying stuff before the fight, and most of the stuff that we're saying is, I'm going to win and he's going to lose. Like, that's that's what everybody says. So, maybe don't take it too personally, but I also think that it, the reason it resonated for Anthony Smith is because, especially right now, it is important to him to feel like those things matter and to feel like other people recognize that they matter.
0: The wins now are over Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, and Ryan Spann. Anthony Smith is officially ranked number six overall in the light heavyweight division. He is calling out Alexander Rakich, of course, who is uh, ranked number three overall and was the last person to defeat Anthony Smith back in August of 2020 during this kind of like... uh, down cycle, you might say, for Anthony Smith when he had that kind of ugly loss to Glover Teixeira, to fifth round TKO. Uh, immediately after that, just a few months later, in fact, he fought Alexander Raikic and lost that one too. Since then, he appears to have have righted the ship. He said he had to have a lot of hard conversations with himself and his coaches and his training partners, and now he's won three in a row. I guess this question could be asked of anyone in this light heavyweight division. Uh, which now feels the absence of John Jones. You've got the champion Jan Blachowicz, uh Yanni Blackjacks with the Polish power and the suicide rope about to fight Glover Tashira. But everyone is kind of jockeying for a new position now, trying to figure out what their, their future is, what their ceiling is, what their life can be in this, uh, what suddenly feels like a pretty wide open UFC 205 pound division. How do you see Anthony Smith fitting into this thing? A guy who's, he's got a ton of fights, He's only 33 years old, but he's got a lot of wear and tear on the tires. And yet he has looked really, really good in these last three fights uh, against, you know, people of of like middling middle of the pack, kind of seeming light heavyweights. Uh, He he obviously had his own fight against John Jones at UFC 235. Did not go well for him. He lost the unanimous decision, even though Jones lost a couple of points uh, in the championship rounds, if I'm not mistaken for an illegal blow. Uh, but but now that the that the champ the big the big time long reigning champ is gone what wh- where can anthony smith go in this division and how high can he climb
1: i mean you know how we like to talk about how you can undercut anyone's career anyone's accomplishments and their wins if you really want to you could also the opposite you can go back through at least with a lot of people and say hey this wasn't as bad as it looked on paper and i think maybe it's honestly kind of worth doing that when it comes to anthony smith because like you said okay you got the decision loss to john jones the greatest light heavyweight in mma history and it's not like he got just completely blown out in that fight you know they go all five rounds he gets up off the the canvas after that illegal knee which you said the entire mma world at the time owed him a debt of gratitude for because he could have stayed down there taking the disqualification uh, Aljamain Sterling style, and it would have thrown us into a whole tizzy over trying to r- figure that thing out. But then, you know, he he gets a, that win over Alexander Gustafson. He was looking good against Glover Teixeira, and he got floored with a good punch, and they just could not get back in that fight. Got his teeth knocked out and everything. As Glover just pouring on the punishment, and he took a whole lot of damage in that fight, just because. You know, he he was looking good while he kept his feet moving. He he slowed down just a little bit, and Glover made him pay. But also, Glover's really damn good. We figured that out as well. And then he came back, I would say, honestly, just too soon after a fight like that to try to fight Alexander Rakich and, uh, you know, kind of a, a lackluster fight in general and uh, lose the decision there. But now these three straight wins, all first-round stoppages, I mean, the one against Jimmy Crude at the end of the first round, but still he was looking really good in that one. And all against people who are basically trying to take his place or trying to be the next Anthony Smith in this division. And he is stomping on those guys and saying, nope, I'm not ready to go anywhere yet. And looking damn good doing it too. Looking like he is really calm and confident and in control in there. And so it's not at all difficult for me to imagine a situation where he wins one kind of big fight, like a rematch against Alexander Rakic, and then is right there fighting for a title. Like, I can absolutely see that, especially in a John Jones-less light heavyweight division, where it just feels a little more wide open.
0: Yeah, and in his, in his own words, uh, Alexander Rakish doesn't have anything going, doesn't have anything that he's doing. We're all sitting around waiting for this uh, championship logjam to free up. So if they... Uh, If they booked that fight, it seemed like uh, Rakich was down for it for December. And Anthony Smith said, Merry Christmas to me. And that's what we're going to do. This is one of those rematches that I'm actually totally fine with. We'll figure it out. Uh, We'll see see who's going to be potentially the next number one contender after Glover Tashira and uh, Yanni Blackjacks settle their differences. So a nice little roll at this point for Anthony Smith. Uh, All right. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, did you notice that we were sitting at home watching these fights? And uh, all of a sudden, it turns out these UFCs were sponsored by a PBS documentary. <laughs> Your man Ken Burns. Yeah, it was the Muhammad Ali show. Uh, not the usual fare for the uh, nope. for how, who's sponsoring these fights. Normally, it's like whatever movie Vin Diesel is in this week mm-hmm. is what sponsors the UFC fights. Now we still got the the Battle Motors trash truck uh, sponsorship on the octagon floor. So. Let's not get too carried away here, but look at us classy motherfuckers out here in our top hats with our monocles. Sponsored by a PBS documentary, eh? Oh, I see. Tut tut pen, folks. Would you like to come around for a spot of tea? Are you fucking kidding me? I've been waiting for this all my life. Classing it up around here a little bit. Yes, I will watch your PBS documentary, Ken Burns.
1: I mean, you were going to watch any... Ken Burns PBS documentary. I might not Especially even have known
0: about it if they didn't fucking deign to advertise it during human cockfighting. Now I've seen the ad. Now I want to watch it. Advertising works. More of these upscale brands <laughs> got to jump on the UFC bandwagon.
1: <laughs> My first thought when I saw that was, man, you got to fuck around and end the just decades long UFC streak of only
0: promoting terrible shit movies. Yeah. UFC 266 brought to you by the New Yorker, right? Let's get that going.
1: <laughs> now you're actually going to show me some shit that I absolutely hashtag would watch. Well, Chad, my, are you fucking kidding me this week? We had ourselves a hot mic moment oh, yeah,
0: we in did. the media room mm-hmm. at this at this event. You would think the media would know them mics are turned on now. The mics are turned on. This one seemed
1: to catch... Long-time MMA and boxing writer, Kevin Aioli, somehow remaining very reasonable for a long time, mm-hmm. arguing with some fucking dummy. Yeah. I don't know. Who, who was he talking to? Because I could definitely make out Aioli's voice.
0: Yeah, we need to find out who he was talking to, because uh, I will block that person on site.
1: <laughs> Somebody who doesn't just refuses to understand how vaccines work and what they are and Kevin e. Olie continues to have this conversation and try to just like honestly and in good faith make this person understand for like two and a half three minutes Chad this shit just keeps going like I would have either just started screaming obscenities way sooner or just given up I'm being like, well all right, there's no talking to this motherfucker and Kevin e. Ol just stays at it yeah. On this hot mic. Are you fucking kidding me? Also... You and I... We've been in those media rooms before. There are a lot worse... And frankly more interesting... crosstalk That they could have caught. Mm-hmm. Especially more interesting to MMA fans. Yet maybe it is a sign... Of our goddamn times. That when... The hot mic moment... In the UFC media room... Catches something that people pay attention... It's one person remaining somehow patient and calm as they try to explain the most basic fucking science concept of vaccines to somebody. Are you fucking kidding me? You
0: fucking kidding me? Shout out to the I big one Kevin Ioli for uh, his patience and his clarity in the moment, frankly. He did he did some nice work out there.
1: And so he he could have used an "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> That's right. There? Yeah. <laughs> that that was a that was the con, kind of conversation where you wish you just carried around the cards where you could just reach into your breast pocket, withdraw one, you hand it to the person, and it just says in big letters,
0: "Are you fucking kidding me?" Oh man, I feel like you just you just made a new product for the co event podcast, the "Are you fucking kidding me?" card. That's a good one. I like that. You fucking kidding me? UFC uh, obviously wasn't the only big-time MMA show this weekend, 500 miles to the west. Yoel Romero was about to make his long-awaited promotional debut over in Bellator. How did it go? Well... We'll talk about that coming up in round number two. Chad,
1: you see, what had happened was Yoel Romero thought there were five rounds to this shit.
0: How could that be? How could he think that? It was a main event, Chad. I know, I told him. like, uh, Is this like Rampage with the ketchup? They were like, you know what? If Yoel <laughs> thinks this thing is five rounds and he's going to get ready to go five rounds, let the man come in in shape.
1: I mean, you get... To the end of the third round, Yoel Romero is obviously very fired up. I thought he was going to do a thing of, hey, this guy just took me down and held me there. This I'm going to lose a decision, but this is bullshit. But then it seems as if the thing he is fired up about is that the fight is over at the end of the three scheduled rounds. Yeah. And he thought that maybe he was going to get two more rounds to work. Even so... <laughs> I did not get the impression from the three rounds that we did see that things were trending in such a direction that Yoel Romero was about to bounce back and beat Phil Davis. This honestly was, and I think maybe we're going to disagree on at least part of this, I'm going to say a good performance by Phil Davis and a smart performance by Phil Davis because he stayed more active knowing, it seems, early on especially that sometimes the problem for U.L. Romero is just giving away rounds while he waits for the perfect opportunity to burst forth in a sudden fight-ending spasm of violence. And instead, you stay busy on that guy, You you keep him at the range that you want him at, you don't let him get close enough to just blow up all over you. And then also, when you get into the third round and you have him, uh, y- you got some of his, his timing and his rhythm and everything worked out and you know where he's going to be, then you take advantage of the fact that you're a pretty good goddamn wrestler, too. And you take him down and you hold him there and you beat him up there on the and keep him on his back as much as you can. That's just a, a smart way to go about getting the W by Phil Davis.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, and for Yoel Romero, if he did legitimately come into this fight thinking that it was five rounds— Maybe that is why it explains, you know, maybe that explains why he paced it, you know, so so, so the way that he did that he's, he's kind of like easing into these championship rounds. If he thought he had 10 more minutes, maybe the, the inactivity in the beginning of the fight makes a little bit more sense actually, but still like that is a pretty big misunderstanding to have when you are coming into your Bellator debut, which by the way, was scheduled once before, man. It's not like we did this on short notice. We've been waiting for this thing for a while to happen. So for Yoel Romero to come into it and not even really know the particulars of how the thing was gonna be Arranged, kind of a big screw-up by somebody at some level. Uh, I'm going to talk about Yoel Romero first because now he is, I believe, one in five in his last six fights. His only win is Luke Rockhold back at UFC 221 in February of 2018. Uh, and he has since lost four fights in a row against really high-level competition. Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, Israel Adesanya, uh, Phil Davis now uh, via split decision, which was was ridiculous and drew rightly drew a lot of ire yeah. from the people. Even Yoel Romero was like, no, that's bullshit, man, uh, when he's out there in the cage. Uh, this is troubling to me, man. And that's what I said leading up to this fight, that the, the last time we had seen Yoel Romero, UFC 248 against Israel Adesanya, he had a very strange performance. Uh, for the middleweight championship. Very inactive. Seemed like he really wanted to draw out Israel Adesanya to come to him so perhaps he could counter him. But now we get this this performance against Phil Davis where the first round was very inactive. The second round, Yoel Romero seemed to want to turn it up a little bit, but Phil Davis was just able to turn it up a little bit more. And then in the third round, Phil Davis kind of had his way, landed the best strikes, and took Yoel Romero down like five times in this fight, I think. Something like that. So, uh... All of that is troubling to me about Yoel Romero, who has been an ageless wonder up to this point, And we have all been kind of waiting for father time to catch up with that guy. Maybe it has at this point. I don't know. Uh, he's looking a little loose around the middle at two Oh five. You know, it oh, just doesn't look like the same. Come on. just doesn't look like the same monster man, to be quite frank at this weight in this, in this organization. I know Scotty Coke still has high hopes for him. They're going to get him some other stuff to do. Uh, but, uh, But we'll see what happens. This this was not an auspicious beginning for Yoel Romero and Bellator. Now, on the flip side, though, for Phil Davis, we don't give this fucking guy enough credit, man. He's just really good. And I know that, like, he's a guy that it's kind of easy to hate on because he has these performances where uh, basically he just makes the other guy kind of look bad and he rolls out there and... And gets to win, gets a split decision win here. But this was a good performance for him. Uh, he used his reach. He landed some good strikes. He set up his takedowns. He was able to basically dominate Joel Romero in all facets. If you look at the career of Phil Davis, man, uh, he basically only loses to the cream of the crop. It's astounding now to recognize that he has been in Bellator for like six years and has had 13 fights as the former champion He's basically only lost to Ryan Bader and Vadim Nemkov in that organization. Uh, he's just really good, man. And I don't feel like we give him the credit he deserves because uh, some of his fights are less than uh, scintillating. You
1: First of all, you're going to start to call Yoel Romero soft around the midsection because suddenly he looks like he's merely carved out of limestone instead of carved out of granite.
0: Hey, you know what? I'm, I will give Yoel Romero his props for making uh, everything he could make. Out of the the venomless fight kitless Bellator coming out there in the fucking Brahma bull uh, sleeveless hoodie and then you know wearing the victory trunks and stuff like that. This dude, he was looking good, but he just looks less chiseled at two hundred five. I don't feel like it's a big deal to say that. I don't know why you are uh, reacting to it this way, other than you know
1: because he's still. I mean, he still wins the looks good getting off the bus Masters division. <laughs> The, the, the seniors division. He still wins it. He, I mean, at his age, the guy still looks like he's incredible. Hey, in man, shape.
0: Yoel and, Romero's 44 years old. He's one of the few fighters out there who is older than you and me. That's incredible. <laughs> would I trade bodies with Yoel Romero? Yes. Yes, I would. Is that what you're asking me?
1: <laughs> also, I mean, he didn't do nothing in this fight. He did some stuff. I just think that he maybe is still a little bit too reliant on. I'll land one big shot. And that one big shot will show up at some point. And especially when you only have three rounds to work, which maybe he did not realize. And you've got a guy who is an experienced and smart fighter over there. Like, he's not just going to land one good punch, see an opportunity, and come charging in and get himself clipped. He, he's smarter than that. And Phil Davis also, like, a big, long, rangy, light heavyweight who knows how to use that range pretty well, and he was, he was keeping Uel Romero right where he wanted him, and was doing a good job of like seeing what was there for him. Like when he w- he would throw these punches, he would throw these two punch combinations, and UL Romero would cover up with that high kind of mummy guard that he was using, and leave the rest of his body wide open. And Phil Davis was seeing that early on and went, okay, that means like your your body and your legs are there to be kicked, and I also know that. That's how I can set up a takedown is if I throw some punches and you put your arms up like that, then I, that's when I'm going to shoot. And then when he needed it in the third round, that's exactly what he did. So I think instead of just saying like UL Romero has done fallen off for the last time. I mean, for one thing, wouldn't be terribly surprising at his age. It had has to happen at some point if you keep fighting forever. But also credit to Phil Davis for just having a smart plan there and executing it well.
0: Yeah, both things can be true. So we'll see how it okay. goes as we move forward. Uh, Bellator had some bad luck uh, this week also, though anthony johnson pulling out of the light heavyweight grand prix which just goes to show you after you put on the uh the welterweight grand prix and then the featherweight grand prix essentially without too many big hiccups you got these big bodies these light heavyweights out here ben shit can happen uh so rumble is out and julius angelicus is in now against vadim nemkov uh in a fight for the title so that just uh undercuts the Bellator light heavyweight Grand Prix a little bit though, as the announcement that I got in my email uh, is, is quick to point out Julius Angelicus gets chance of a lifetime as the Mm -hmm. Grand Prix alternate replaces Rumble Johnson at Bellator Two Sixty Eight in the main event against Vadim Nemkov. I guess that's one way to put it. Of course, on the other side of the bracket, you got Ryan Bader and Corey Anderson. Uh, We have, we have put over the featherweight Grand Prix a lot on this show and I think it deserves that. I think that it was a, a, You know, a great thing that Bellator did and they pulled it off. What now? What now to be said of the light heavyweight Grand Prix uh, where we were first, we were going to get Yoel Romero in there against Rumble. We couldn't do that. So we had to do a different fight for Rumble and he won that one. Now he's in the semis, but now he's out. So now we're going to put Angelikas in there against Vadim Nemkov. How, what's your remaining hype level? I guess I will ask for the Bellator light heavyweight Grand Prix.
1: Well, I mean, first of all, don't knock the alternate position because... No, as da- Daniel learned, Cormier
0: will tell you. It's a good spot to
1: yeah, be. MMA tournaments, damn it, the alternate might be the best spot you can get. Just, just because of the way those things shake out sometimes. But I still think... You know, you're right that it's a little bit diminished when you go through some of this stuff. It reminds us that when you go through something like the Featherweight Grand Prix, you did get kind of lucky and you can't rely on getting that lucky every single time. But I also think the thing that still helps you is that tournaments grant that immediate air of legitimacy just because of their nature that whoever is... The winner, assuming it was somebody who was there at the start, you know, the, if the alternate wins, I mean, people will still be like Cinderella story or whatever. But it's if it's Vadim Nemkov who wins this thing, people will go, well, see, that proves that this guy really is one of the best light heavyweights in the world because he's the last man standing. Yeah. And I think that that's still easy for people to understand. And so, like, I think by the end. Uh, people will be a little bit more forgiving of maybe not playing out exactly the way you want to do, at least as long as you can get to a clear, like, decisive victor in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah.
0: All right. From Bellator 266 to UFC 266. So... Not that that's confusing or anything. Uh, Two titles on the line, plus Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler set to do it again, a brother. That's coming up in round number three, right after this. Well, this weekend, UFC 266, Nick Diaz returns to the cage for the first time since 2015. By all rights, kind of riding a three-fight losing streak here. Carlos Condit, George St. Pierre, and Anderson Silva, none of which uh, are currently active fighters anymore in, in MMA. Of course, the Anderson Silva loss overturned because Silva tested positive for some steroids. Uh, Diaz also tested positive for marijuana, leading us to... A fucking snafu uh, that results in Nick Diaz being absent for a long period of time. Some other reasons probably contributing to that as well. He returns this weekend against Robbie Lawler, a rematch of their first fight from all the way back in 2004. Robbie Lawler also comes into this thing on the heels of a handful of losses for, in fact, most recently to Neil Magny in August of 2020. What should be looking should we be looking forward to in this fight, Ben? A fight that is going to be five rounds, despite the fact that it is kind of going to be right in the middle of this UFC 266 card.
1: Here's what I encourage us all to do with this fight. Let's really enjoy and savor the buildup. The lead up to it, because I think it's tough to know exactly what you're going to get from these two guys at this point. I said before, and I still stand by it, that I think that because of the nature of the two guys involved, it's not going to be like one of those things where you throw two old guys in there and it just makes everybody sad. Yeah, I don't think, you know, and it's not like a a guy who we loved from years past getting stomped on by some young, hungry new guy. It's Peer's with a history, who are getting in there at a time when it makes sense for both of them and where they are. But also, the same way when we showed up to watch Guns N' Roses play here at Washington Grizzly Stadium uh, a few weeks ago, we, we showed up knowing that Axl Rose was damn near 60. It's not 1989 anymore. Can't have the same expectations. I would urge some version of the same thing here. Let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy, especially the moments beforehand where everything is still possible. But let's also not expect that they they'll just pick right back up where they left off, because the you know they they both lived several lives in this sport since then.
0: Yeah, Robbie Lawler's thirty nine, Nick Diaz is thirty eight, so I believe it would be uh, proper for us to expect some drop off. However, with these two guys, like I still feel somewhat confident they will we will get a more. Uh, We'll split the difference, let's say, between Axel Rose and Duff McKagan. I think we're going to get a (laughs) slash kind of look from these two guys. I still don't have a lot of fear that either Nick Diaz or Robbie Lawler is going to show up for this thing looking shot, looking spent. I think we will uh, probably get as good a fight that a couple guys pushing 40 could probably give us between these two guys. They're both just gamers. They both have always been in shape. Uh, and I don't expect either of them to 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 show up looking like a shadow of his former self. I think we will probably be all right. I think Nick Diaz is is clearly the bigger wild card here since we haven't seen him in so long. Is it a risk to make this thing five rounds though, considering the age of everyone involved here or are we comfortable enough to say hey Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler have always been able to to put in those minutes and they will be able to put in those minutes this time around, even if they're getting a little long in the tooth.
1: Yeah, it's not their ability to put in the minutes, I guess I would worry about. It's the, you put two guys who Hold are- Hold on, are you for, dropping a
0: vision quest on me right now? Are you saying it's not about the 25 minutes, it's about what happens during the 25 minutes that matters?
1: You would like that, wouldn't you, I would if I love were to it. drop a Frankly, vision quest I reference? It. I think, really, the concern more is not that these guys can't go for five rounds, but that Especially somebody like Nick Diaz, sometimes he's been too tough for his own good. Both these guys are tough, durable, stubborn sons of bitches. And if Robbie Lawler were to start really putting it on Nick Diaz, you could be in for a night where Nick Diaz just keeps standing there, getting beat on, and unless a referee saves him, uh, just because he's not going to go down. And, like, he's not going to wilt easily under that kind of pressure. So, like, I mean, that's more what I would worry about. Because one thing you can always say about Nick Diaz is that he shows up in shape, you know, and uh, Robbie Lawler, especially like at the later points of his career, has been a real hard-nosed professional. So I still think they're capable of that aspect of the sport without question. It's some of the other stuff that just sends a go with age that you wonder about a little bit. I also, you know, going back and watching that first fight is fun for a couple reasons. Because for one thing, it's like, oh man, we're all the way back when like, Robbie Lawler and Joe Rogan both had hair and Joe Rogan's call on that one just tickles me every single time because he is amazed. He's like, look, Nick Diaz is talking shit to Robbie Lawler. Can you believe it? And like now you watch it, you're like, well, yeah. I can believe Nick Diaz could fight Lucifer and he would be talking shit during that fight. That's that's a given. And at the time, kind of crazy, yet get also kind of crazy that you know Nick Diaz is going to be the one to land a, a knockout blow on this one. And now you come back all these years later, uh I'm looking at the odds Robbie Lawler according to most sports books a very very slight favorite. Do you think he deserves to be?
0: Yeah, I think so, probably just because of the inactivity from from Nick Diaz and again, we don't know totally what we're going to get from him just because of the time away. So uh, it'll be interesting, man. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I don't think it's going to make us feel sad. Uh, We will reconnoiter after it happens, and maybe we will be singing a different tune, but we'll see. Uh, Speaking of 38-year-olds, Lauren Murphy going to go out there and fight Valentina Shevchenko uh, for the title in the co-main on this thing. Lauren Murphy riding a five-fight win streak, most recently over uh, JoJo Calderwood at UFC 263. This is one of those things that feels like a feel good moment for Lauren Murphy headed into the fight. Uh, what, are, what are we going to get, though, on the night that this actually happens, just because Valentina Shevchenko has been the women's flyweight champion that, that no one has really been able to say shit to uh, so far during her reign?
1: You know what? If I were Lauren Murphy, you know what I'd be telling myself right now? She has to lose eventually. Why not why not now?
0: Yeah, I would be looking why at the me? MMA junkie Valentina Shevchenko through the years, uh pictorial <laughs> slideshow and I'd be like, "Look how many years there are here, man. She's got to lose eventually, right?"
1: Eventually her number's going to come up. If not now, when? If not me who? That's that's the that's the that's the words I would be bringing to Lauren Murphy's corner hyping her up and like, "Look, she's not perfect." She's going to lose sooner or later. She's going to slip on a banana peel out there. Could be tonight. Why not tonight? Because other than that, it's a little bit hard for me to talk myself into seeing a Lauren Murphy victory here.
0: Short of slipping on a banana peel or looking at the uh, Valentina Shevchenko through the years uh, slideshow and convincing yourself that maybe she has passed away. And that's why we're doing this retrospective. (laughs) Uh, What's the game plan for Lauren Murphy? And I guess I just said, not only Lauren Murphy, who I feel like is, uh, you know, a person who has become kind of easy to like on this this run to the title uh, shot. Uh, What is the game plan for anyone in this division against Chevy Shanks?
1: Oh, man. Um, I hope one of the lights comes loose off the overhead truss and falls down and hits her on the head.
0: Hmm. Okay, so you're not going to be putting your money on, on anyone against Valentina Shevchenko at our $20 you never want to see again betting contest. Or,
1: I mean, or, uh, you know, we've seen people's legs be snapping underneath them and shit. How about that? That could happen, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You legs, me-
1: they're, leg bones are fickle things, man. That's one thing I've learned the last few years in the mixed martial arts. They can just snap like a goddamn breadstick at any time.
0: Weeks from now, Valentina Shevchenko could be recording a video for her Instagram page where she's driving a CVS on her rascal with a a gun on her hip, obviously, considering everything we know about Valentina Shevchenko. That's what we're looking forward to.
1: I mean, see, I don't even want to joke about it anymore because now I'm picturing what it might do to her dancing. And I feel bad. I feel bad for even bringing up the possibility, man. You know?
0: All right, let's talk about the main event here. Alexander Volkanovsky takes on Brian Ortega. We put an entire season of the Ultimate Fighter behind this one. These two guys were coaching on that. Brian Ortega uh out-dueled Chan Sung Jung pretty impressively. Unanimous decision win there in October of 2020. Alexander Volkanovsky, obviously the champion, regarded as... Uh, the best uh, featherweight fighter in the world at this point. The last two wins back-to-back over Max Holloway, UFC 245, and again at UFC 251, uh, both close enough to uh, to raise questions. Does Brian Ortega have a shot here against Alexander uh, Volkanovsky in the main event?
1: It's really tough for me to know what to make of Brian Ortega right now. Because you know he had that fight with uh, Max Holloway where he got the, the, the title shot and just got sort of outclassed a little bit, especially as the fight wore on against Max Holloway, who was just pouring it on him. And then he also still felt like you know he that was like his fifteenth pro fight, I believe, maybe sixteenth pro fight, and it was it felt like he was still a work in progress as a fighter. And at the time, though, I think people went like, okay, we've seen we've seen how far Brian Ortega could rise, and above that. He, he will go no further. But then, when he came back against Chan Sung Jung and looked like just such a different fighter, yeah,
0: looked like a different it, dude it look, out look, there.
1: Look way better and just all around like a much much improved fighter. And everybody, I think, went okay. We're ready to reassess our opinion about Brian Tega- Ortega. But that was also one fight. You know, it was one fight almost a year ago. And so then to see him have to turn around right now. And go in there against Alexander Volkanovsky, who has looked like he is absolutely the best featherweight in the world, it is tough for me to know just based on that one fight where Brian Ortega is and how capable he is of dealing with Alexander Volkanovsky. Because especially Volkanovsky now with a few of these like uh, five-round fights under his belt, and one thing we saw in that pair of fights against Max Holloway is that he is a smart fighter who's really a, capable of adjusting on the fly. Yeah. And, like, if you if you can't go out there and just shock him all at once, you got to be ready to see a couple different versions of that guy within the same fight. And that's tough to deal with, man.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for it because I don't know totally what to expect from either of these two guys in this one. But especially the new look Brian Ortega, I want to see how far he can go. Uh, it, it's hard for me to imagine that he would go out there and, and sort of, like... Outstrike Alexander Volkanovsky like I think he's going to have to to do maybe a little bit more of an old school Brian Ortega thing to have a chance to win this probably mix things up a little bit I assume when I invoke uh, the old school Brian Ortega that he will lose 24 minutes of this fight and then win by rear naked choke submission in the final seconds <laughs> right that's going to be how it happens uh, but I'm excited for it. what are we doing odds wise you have the odds over there in front of you yeah. did you not what, what's the, what are the what are the sharps saying about this?
1: Right now, I'm looking at Alexander Volkanovsky as about a minus 160 favorite. Mm-hmm. You can get Brian Ortega. Most places have him around plus one plus 135, plus 140. Uh, he is as high as plus 150 okay. from a couple different places. So pretty
0: competitive, uh, according to the odds makers, even though Volkanovsky is the, is the slight favorite here.
1: Would you like to know what the odds look like for Lauren Murphy versus Valentina Shevchenko? Mm,
0: I guess so.
1: Well, I'll say this. You can get a lot of value out of Lauren Murphy right now if you're willing to throw five bucks down. You know I like an underdog bet. I know you do. Most places have a, somewhere around plus 800, so an 8-to-1 underdog, as high as 10-to-1. If, however, you want to think take what you think is the guaranteed money on Chevy Shanks, uh, you're looking at maybe around minus 1,200. So not a whole lot of bang for your buck there.
0: Why don't you, in the same way that you just did during the Bellator event, you take that money, you put put, it, you put, you take some of your $20 we never want to see again, you put it on uh, Valentina Shevchenko and we'll test this Ben Fulks curse theory that I've got going.
1: So what you're saying is that I should bet on Valentina Shevchenko so that she loses and then you will presumably slide right in under there and bet on Lauren Murphy?
0: I can't confirm or deny these baseless accusations that you're making i mean i don't
1: totally understand finance law but i f- i just this feels illegal it's what you're trying to do insider trading
0: is what it is because i already know you got the curse hand don't you wear a glove yeah. all the time because one of your hands is black and rotted from the curse
1: <laughs> this just i feel like you're gonna get us in trouble with the sec just <laughs> Just with this conversation. Uh, SEC's
0: SEC is the least of our worries, man. Demons. <laughs> Demons are coming for you, my friend. All right, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff?
1: Well, Chad, sounds like Dan Hooker is going to make it to this fight after all. Ooh. We talked about this on the Power Hour, how he was out here on Twitter trying to get the U.S. ambassador to New Zealand to come in off the beach come into the office and see if we could process that visa application so that he could make it on the last flight to America out of New Zealand and get there just in time. And it seems like, according to his update today, that was successful. The timeline that I saw for how this is going to go for him is that he will leave on a flight on Thursday, New Zealand time, and arrive in Las Vegas at, like, basically the same time that he left because of, you know, the globe, the mm-hmm. way the globe is shaped I've and heard whatnot. about that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we'll have to turn right around, you know, we'll arrive Thursday night, weigh in Friday morning, and then fight Saturday night. I'm just saying, for one thing, if Dan Hooker were to miss weight – Let's all be cool about it, you guys. <laughs> Just first off, because, shit, man, can you imagine that you gotta, like, if not complete your weight cut, at least maintain it over the course of, like, a fucking 15-hour flight or whatever it's gonna be from New Zealand to get to Las Vegas? Can you imagine sitting there in your goddamn sauna suit in a plane? They're, they're coming by with the... the little biscotti cookie man you can't have any of that shit they come by with the peanuts you can't have any peanuts you know complimentary sodas and whatnot oh man wouldn't the orange soda be nice right about now no mm-hmm. you can't have it you have to sit there through a murderous 15 hour whatever flight to get there and be dehydrated and miserable the entire fucking time that is awful <laughs> and then after you weigh in, you got a, just a luxurious like thirty six hours or something to then try to recover yourself and go get in a goddamn cage fight with Nasrod ha- Nasrod ha- I'm just saying, sometimes this sport reminds you that it is extra crazy. Yeah. Because can you can you even imagine if we're like all right, the the tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're trying to get him on the last flight out of Italy or something. Get him here just barely in time for morning meetings and then right into the game. That shit is nuts, man. And yet, Dan Hooker's prevailing response here is just elation at being given a chance. I'm just saying this sport, man. Just this saying, fucking sport.
0: Just saying. Can you bring an Aerodyne assault bike on the plane with you? Could we be like could Dan Hooker set up his bike in the uh, in the galley at the back of the plane and just be sitting there you know in his sauna suit just riding just cutting Can you
1: imagine imagine
0: you're sitting on the plane next to Dan Hooker this big mummy wearing towels wearing <laughs> a bunch of towels and be like oh call the TSA you're
1: digging around in your carry-on and you come out and you think you're I'm gonna be a nice guy you turn to the guy and you say gummy bear and he just looks at you like <laughs> he is about to throw you out the goddamn emergency exit
0: yeah Ben, did you see uh, Iwan Cutalaba take Devin Clark's the middle three teeth in the bottom of his jaw and just like moved them back like an inch? Did you see that happen? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? This this is Are You Fucking Kidding Me, right? What are you fucking kidding me? This is just saying stuff. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Are you fucking kidding me? This dude had to go to the hospital after and get his teeth moved back up. They had to jack his teeth back forward in his mouth, Ben. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: I don't I don't like it. I don't like thinking about I, it.
0: I guess this week, I'm just saying, we see a lot of shit in this sport, man. Motherfuckers break the legs out there. We see knockouts. We see horrific flattened noses. We see ears explode. Uh, one dude's finger came off at one point. You remember when that happened? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah as- I remember. I, I, aside from, I guess, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt referring to your teeth as your outside bones... Why are teeth injuries so fucking gross? Because they are. They are unbelievably gross. I would almost rather see Conor McGregor just break his leg in half than see Devin Clark get his teeth moved back in his mouth. Just like they, like Iwan Cudalaba took a, his finger and just pushed him back an inch. So fucking gross, man. I'm just saying.
1: The most amazing part though is how his response to that was like, Well, basically it's fucked already and I'm already gonna need surgery, so we might as well keep going.
0: Yeah. And then he did like a one of them uh Instagram videos from the hospital or whatever where he like he's so beat up he couldn't he just like couldn't barely even talk but he's like it's okay. Grab my teeth are back or move my teeth up, it's gonna be fine. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Your teeth Teeth injuries are gross, man. I'm just saying.
1: Did you think the whole time he's going like, man, I hope this is one of those dreams. I hope this is <laughs> one of those weird, freaky teeth dreams. Yeah. And I just wake up any moment from it.
0: Mm-hmm. Teeth are gross. Anyway, that fear is going to change. Do it.
1: That's what that's about. This the teeth week,
0: yeah. It must've been fear of change that got down Clark in this fight, man. That's what yep. it was. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's Come In event podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. We will be back on Wednesday over on the Patreon page for the live chat join us over there special shout out one more time to nick and jess uh nato for sending us the glow in the dark scorpion bolo tie to be shared among the patrons check us out patreon.com slash event we have fun over there uh as for right now though thanks everybody for listening we are done we are through we are out
1: See now though now i have to consider the possibility what if all of this it's just Devin Clark's weird teeth dream. What if we we're all in Devin Clark's just horrifying dream about his teeth and his fear of change? Yeah. None of us are even real.
0: That's true. Yeah, well, you and I are just the goofs in the media in Devin Clark's dream. I mean, I can't prove that that's not the case. You know what? I feel relieved more than anything else. <laughs> none of this is real. All of these mistakes I've made don't count. You're you don't your cur- the curse is lifted. Your hand is probably back to normal. I just feel relieved, to be perfectly frank.
1: The burden of responsibility has been lifted.